Uh, so our scripture today is Luke 18, 1 through 8. We're in the throes of ordinary time in the church calendar, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, for those that are keeping track with ordinary time. Uh, soon it will be Advent, and then we'll get to start a whole new year, and we'll go through Matthew next year. Uh, okay, so Luke 18, 1 through 8. Jesus is talking, or Luke's talking. He told them a parable, urging them to keep praying and never grow discouraged. The parable went like this. Jesus said, there was a judge living in a certain city. He showed no respect for God or humanity. In the same city, there was a widow. Again and again, she kept coming to him, seeking justice. Clear my name, she said, for my adversary's false accusations. He paid no attention to her request for a while, but then he, said to my, then he said to himself, I don't care what God thinks of me, much less what any mere human thinks, this, but this widow is driving me crazy. She's never going to quit coming to see me unless I hear her case and provide her legal protection. And Jesus said, did you catch what this self-assured judge said? If he can be moved to act justly, won't God bring justice for his chosen people when they cry to him day and night? Will he be slow to bring them justice? Mark my words, God will intervene fast with, vind- vind- with vindication. But here's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find anyone who still has faith? The word of the Lord. <clears throat> All right, so first things first. We kind of already know this, but it's just worth being said. A lot of times this passage is talked about as if, oh, you just have to be, like, nagging. You just have to, like, you know, tap God on the shoulder long enough, and then finally God will answer your prayer request. That's often how um, this passage could be talked about or read. You just need to to badger God, and then you'll get what you want eventually. Um, It's also, I think, important to admit on the very surface of this uh, that when we often think about prayer, um, like it really does feel like uh, like we're praying like to a wall, right? Like the exper- if we're being honest, the experience of prayer often is is one in which you're you're kind of wondering, is eh, am I crazy? Is anybody listening? And so I think that there's something about that just embedded in this uh, experience here that Jesus is talking about that he recognizes. Um, that the people are growing tired because they realize that the reality that they're facing um, is very different from the prayers that they have. Like, they're praying for a different reality, and they're not getting it. And, and Jesus is kind of acknowledging that, uh, that this situation exists. It does feel like your prayers are just unanswered. So I think that that's maybe an important thing to, um, to consider is just the reality that prayer is— is rough. And we talked about prayer a few weeks ago, back in July, because I was like, this parable is a lot like the one Luke tells in uh, Luke 11. We talked about it uh, in July, the one where um, the guy just like not, keeps knocking at the door of his, uh, at, the, at the door of his friend. And finally, the guy's like, oh, I've got like, I need to answer this door. And so we kind of talked about this. It's a very similar, um, very similar story, but kind of different in, in some, some interesting ways. Uh, I think it's fascinating that Jesus here, um, he's not afraid to use an anti-hero character for, for God, right? This is like unjust judge is the character that Jesus uses in this parable for the position of God. It's like completely 
a, we would say it's like a bad, this guy's a bad dude. He'd be a bad character if you're like, um, try to tell me a story, like a, a story that communicates a spiritual truth. And you're like, God's this awful person. Like in this story, God's this awful person. It's like not really the, uh, how we would think would be the best character to frame for God. But Jesus is just like not concerned about this and just shows like how good and interesting of a storyteller that he is, is that he's willing to, to do this. Has anybody seen uh, the new Breaking Bad movie, El Camino? Yeah? Oh my gosh, so good. Um, but it made me think of all the good anti-heroes that we have in TV and movies today that we identify with. And I think it's interesting. That's like Jesus is using the same kind of trope to say, oh, actually there's something here that we can identify with. Uh, the Joker. Did anybody see The Joker yet? Oh, that's another good one. Recommend it. Uh, Killing Eve is another anti-hero. Has anybody seen Killing Eve on Hulu? Oh, gosh, guys. You guys got to get on this, all right, so we can talk about these things. Uh, Killing Eve on Hulu is so great. She's a, like a assassin, like just a brutal, uh, lacks empathy assassin. But she's this, this character that you kind of you like root for and you like. And so Jesus uses these same kinds of things in uh, storytelling. And I think those are things that we can, as reading, as reading parables, just embrace. Embrace it, look through it, examine it, and really appreciate um, how good of a storyteller that Jesus is. I'm going to skip some of this because we're running. I know we're running... Uh, late on time, but I liked our discussion, so it's better, the discussion's better than my sermons always. Um, so as we break down this story, it's good to, it's good to remember kind of what we talked about a little bit in July, and Bob Mason is an expert on this, um, so I'm glad he's not here today, because today, he would surely correct me. Uh, like after I talked about the, uh, the knocking story in July, Bob's like, actually, in an honor-shame society, here's the blah, 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 blah. So in an honor-shame society, um, you know, it's, from, it's similar to the, uh, the parable of the friend at midnight. But what we have to realize is that uh, in the first century, some people were born into families of high honor. That was one way that you, you gained honor in the first century. Or you can earn a high honor within your community. So honor was the like, highest commodity in the first century community. So you wanted to maintain a sense of honor. And what this interesting, uh, interestingly, what this did was it created a sense of interconnectedness because uh, if Scott does me a favor, then I need to return it in, in order to maintain my honor in the society. Likewise, if you, if you didn't function in a, a sense of interrelatedness in your relationships in your community, you could lose that honor and, and you would, you would re- run the risk of being shamed in the community. So um, in this story, we know that the widow... Uh, she has no status in the community, and the fact that she's pleading her case in front of this judge means that she has no male representation. So she would have had the lowest of low statuses in the community. So she would have had a very sort of shameful um, place in the first century community. So um, we think of today as like, oh, it's like a poor widow, like our heart goes out to her. But in her society, uh, she would have been a shameful person that you wouldn't want to associate with. So Jesus, again, frames the sort of like lowest of lows. And then uh, on the other end, he's got this other shameful judge. Because in the honor-shame society, uh, this judge, he fully admits, and Jesus says it twice, I don't care what God thinks. 
or what anybody else in my community thinks, which means that he has, uh, like, no shame, but that means he's, like, full of... Yeah, he's kind of like a modern robot. They're making robots underground? Wow. I think that that's Westworld, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting. Like, this guy, I mean, he kind of is, He in this first century, he would be kind of like a a first century robot because it wouldn't make any sense, like, to the first hearers of this story that this guy, he would have no sense of the inner relatedness, the connections that you would need to have standing, even as a judge, in the community, in that society. Because this guy's like, I don't care what you think. I don't, I'll do whatever I want. I don't care what God thinks. So it's framing this guy up as just like, just the most awful, terrible person. Hearing the case of a woman who has no status, who has no, who would have no say uh, in, the, in the community. So this unjudged, just, uh, unjudged judge is a really bad dude. Doesn't care what people think. Doesn't care what God thinks. Um, and he's kind of shamelessly willing to publicly announce, like, a level of immorality. Uh, like, he has no concern for public opinion. Uh, I can't think of anybody in today's society that has no concern for public opinion. They just admit their crimes, like, right out in the open. It's like, I, I don't know who I could think of that is similar to our situation. Um, so the widow in our story uh, is important because Jesus often talks about the widow. Uh, Luke, I mean, sorry, Luke often talks about the widow. Um, Luke recognizes uh, Anna as a widow who recognizes who Jesus is in the first chapter of Luke. So it's a widow who understands who Jesus is. Uh, it's Jesus in Luke uh, 4 who references of the widow. In Luke 7, Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead. Later in Luke 20, Jesus critiques a religious system that cheats the widow and then takes a widow's last penny um, and takes over their properties. So the widow, as a character in the Gospel of Luke, takes a of particular importance more so than the other Gospels. So when we hear widow in this story, uh, we should kind of, like, our ears should perk up a little bit because um, this is one of Luke's favorite characters. And Luke is all about the great reversal of those impositions of power um, being leveled to the ground and people that are on the underside of power, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, um, being raised to a level of, of human dignity. So the widow doesn't have anyone to represent her, but she uh, has this persistent call for justice. And uh, the translation that I read today uh, said justice a few times. It was her cries were for justice. We don't know exactly what it was, but there's like some sort of false accusation being leveled against her. And her cries are for justice. Um, there's a couple of guys 
that do a podcast called uh, Queer Theology. They have a website um, where they break down uh, the lectionary text from a queer perspective. And so what they say, say about this is really, really interesting. Um, they point out that we should not overlook the power of shame in bringing about justice today. And that marginalized groups of people actually have to use every tool available to them in order to bring about God's justice. So we see this clearly demonstrated in the actions of the widow. She has no status in the community, but she uses her non-status as leverage to get justice. Uh, and and Shay makes a, a funny comment. He says, sometimes we have to embarrass people into the kingdom. It's a tricky, it's a tricky line, but... Uh, and how that works itself out practically is often really difficult, but I think there's some truth there. And I, th- I think we see that in this action of the widow. Um, we have to embarrass people into the kingdom. So her cries for justice are, to no surprise, met by annoyance from this unjust judge. Uh, so before this guy, he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about uh, what other people think. He doesn't care about God. But this persistent cry for justice that she has, it creates a crack in this guy, right? It cracks him because, uh, you know, this guy who's been so brazenly awful um, finally starts to become worried about his honor. So this guy has no concern in the honor-shame society. You're welcome, Bob Mason, if you're listening. He has no concern for his his shame-honor place in society, but for some reason, her non-status annoyance and her persistence creates in him a crack where he finally starts to worry about his status, which is really, really interesting to me. So whenever he says uh, the phrase um, in the translation I read, you know, she's driving me crazy, she, the, it literally translates into, um, she's going to give me a black eye which is a slang term at that time for saying, she's going to bring shame upon me. So this guy has no concern, but now all of a sudden her persistent cries for justice says, she's going to give me a black eye. She's going she's gonna to sort of like, you know, harm my position in the community. So it's either her persistence is exposing that the unjust judge actually does, he actually did care a little bit, Maybe about, you know, there are a lot of people that are probably like, I don't care what other people think. But I, don't, I don't care. And actually he did kind of secretly care, and she's just exposing that, that he, he actually did care. Or he's, she's been able to crack something open. Um, her non-status has been able to take this person who has such a tough exterior that really didn't care about anybody, and she's been able to, like, kind of open him up a little bit. It's really interesting. So this widow, who would have traditionally no power, summons the only thing that she did have, which is her shame in the community, and she uses that shame to embarrass the unjust judge. The most socially damaged person is able to break through to an unjust judge to get justice, not in spite of her shameful status, but because of her embarrassing status. The unjust judge feels pressured to change because he's perhaps finally embarrassed of this widow. 
I think maybe one of our, our message today is perhaps ones of perspective, persistence, and trust. Not a bland, uncritical faith or trust like we've kind of talked about, um, but a determined and defiant persistence, a trust, a faith beyond condition or circumstance. If you're anything like me, um, you often feel small against the scope of the universe. Um, so we feel small against the scope of the problems in our world. But there's a message of hope here because Jesus is inviting us small and broken people to use the tools that we have to bring justice and to bring what Jesus would call the kingdom of God. Yeah, maybe things in our world are, are seem unredeemable or chaotic or bleak, um, and that might just be one news day. Uh, the news was crazy this week. We have to, the news was crazy this week. Um, and things might seem like just like they're spinning a million miles an hour, uh, but the message, one of Jesus' messages uh, about the kingdom of God is that the least and the lost have received justice and grace, and particularly in Luke's gospel. That the hierarchy of society, the way things that we see them, um, the oppression from the elites has been leveled. Mary, uh, Luke's mom, in, uh, I mean, Luke's mom, Jesus' mom, in Luke 1, Luke's mom, uh, in Luke 1 says, God has brought down the rulers from their thrones has lifted up the humble. God has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. There's a message in Luke about the, the hierarchy, the way, things, um, the way things appear are not the way that they are in the kingdom. The kingdom is seeing with new eyes to remember that maybe the way we perceive our lives is not actually how they are. And Jesus' question to this group at the end is, can you trust me, essentially? He says, um, you know, he says, like, well, when the Son of Man returns, will he find anyone who still has faith? I think that's just kind of a a roundabout way of saying, can you trust me? Can you trust that um, this reversal, the great reversal, that the, the widow's status is what is lifted, that justice will be done? Can you trust me? That this great reversal of things that Mary talked about is true, is real. Even if we admit that, uh, like Jesus, the way that we see things in our world are not as we'd want to be. And we feel like our prayers are falling on deaf ears. We're like, are we, are we praying to anybody? Because it seems like nothing's changing. And Jesus is, you know, at the end says, well, do you trust me? There's a, there's a persistence in this faith uh, that I think sometimes translates for us maybe uh, a better word is trust. You know, do you trust this? Can we trust that God specifically cares for the widow and loves the poor, cares for us? Do you trust me? Maybe that's a good place to close. Let's pray.